Oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Good morning, church. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's a blessing to be with you this morning as we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And today we're out at Chambers Bay Park. Uh, Chambers Bay Park is a place that has been many things. It's been a lumber yard. It's been a paper mill. But originally this was the original land of the Stillicum Indian tribe. And we want to honor, we want to honor that tribe because this is their original land. But we are here today uh, to talk about how to praise God in the dry seasons of life. You know, we don't have uh, the opportunity to change our seasons. God did not give us uh, that authority. He changes the seasons of life. And so how do we live, how do we process or praise God in the dry seasons of our lives? And you may be in a dry season today, and David is a credible witness. He's been in some dry seasons, and he can tell us a little bit about what it means to be in a dry season. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 63, and it is in Psalm 63 that we discover that David is in the wilderness of Judah. Uh, some scholars say that he's running from the presence of Saul. Other scholars say that he's running from the presence of his son Absalom, who has usurped his authority and taken over the kingdom of Judah. And so at this moment, David feels far away from God. He feels like God has abandoned him. Uh, he feels socially distanced and spiritually distanced from God. And so how do, we, how do we draw close to God and how do we manage uh, the process of praising God in the dry seasons of life? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because as we stand here at Chambers Bay and we're surrounded by dry land, but this dry land has emerged as many things over the years, but we stand here today on this dry land 
and this parched land. And as the sun goes up, uh, there's going to be a need for water. There's going to be a need for sustenance. So how do we praise God in the dry seasons of our lives? I'm glad you asked that question because David, as our spiritual director, has something to teach us about praising God in the dry seasons of our lives. Look at what David says in Psalm 63. David says, Oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So here David, first of all, he's acknowledging the sovereignty of God. Now keep in mind that David is in the desert, in the wilderness of Judah. Uh, some scholars say that he's running from Saul as Saul pursues him. Uh, some scholars say that he has been uh, usurped, his, his authority as a king has been usurped by his own son, Absalom. At any rate, whatever the case is, David finds himself in a wilderness situation. Uh, he finds himself and he feels like he has been abandoned and deserted by God. And so the first thing we see David doing is he acknowledges the sovereignty of God, the, the bigness of God, that there's no problem in his life that's too big that God can't handle. He says, I seek you, O God. He says, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land. David advises us as, his, as our spiritual director to seek God. And this word seek means to search for with intent, to focus, to search. As a matter of fact, one translation says, early in the morning will I seek you, O God. And so we want to give God the first fruits of our morning. He says, seek the Lord in the morning. David is intent on searching for God more than he wants water, he wants the spiritual water that only God can provide. So David says, oh God, you are my God. I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. David says, my whole being is in search for you. My body, my soul, my spirit needs you, oh God. So in the dry season of life, the first thing that we have to do is never give up seeking God because he wants to be found. When there's dryness in your marriage, when there's dryness in, in your home, when there's dryness in your personal life, God is the only one that can quench your thirst when there's dryness. Uh, you may be trying to find other means by which to quench your thirst. Uh, you may be trying to find another means. You may be trying to find uh, means in, in a relationship uh, but those relationships fall far short of what God is able to provide for you. And so David says, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, O God. So I want to encourage you today, don't give up seeking God. Seek him early in the morning. Be intentional about seeking God. Seek him through prayer. Seek him through praise. Uh, seek God by any means necessary. Because when you are in a dry season, don't allow the outward circumstances of your life control an inner conviction that you have about the sovereignty of God. 
Because God is there even when you don't feel like he's there. Trust your inner person. Trust the, the, what God has planted in you, that God wants you to continue to seek him and be committed to seeking the Lord. But that's not all that David has to teach us about seeking God. He has some more things to teach us as we walk this journey about praising God in the dry seasons of our life. And so I want you to walk with me as David teaches us and directs us about praising God in the dry seasons of life. Amen. Amen. David tells us to to seek the Lord and to be intentional and to stay focused on God and to make sure that when we seek him, that we recognize his sovereignty in our lives. But David goes a little bit further as our spiritual director. Look at what he says here in verse 2. He says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love It's better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. The second thing we see David doing is he's remembering when he was in the sanctuary. Now he's in the desert, he's in the wilderness, but he's calling to his mind the times that he was in the sanctuary. So he says, I looked upon you in the sanctuary. David is referring to the temple. He's referring to the times when he was in the temple and he began to worship God with the the worshiping community. And so David turns his desert situation into a sanctuary. In a place where there is no water, he envisions spiritual water being right there where he is. And David is telling us that's what we have to do in the dry seasons of life. We've got to remember uh, what God has done for us. We've got to remember what it's like to worship God. And we've got to transport our worship experience right into our dry season. We've got to worship God. So he says, I looked upon you in the sanctuary. So David has a vision of God very much reminiscent of Isaiah when Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And so David has that same vision here in this verse, in verse two. And then he says, beholding your power and your glory, your strength and your glory. David realized he's, he's not, not only does he have a thirst for God, David realized that he's spiritually weak right now and he needs God's power. He calls on God's strength and he visions God's glory. And that's what we have to do in the dry seasons of our lives. You know, every now and then, when my wife and I go back home to our hometown, Augusta, Georgia, 
And I like to visit the places where I have great memories of God. I go to the church I grew up in, and sometimes I just sit in the church parking lot, and I, re I see a young Aaron going into the sanctuary to worship, sitting in the choir, listening to the preacher, and hearing the choir sing. And somehow when I envision those moments when I was a kid growing up in that church, it recenters me in who God is. It gives me a newfound strength in God. And I think that's what David is doing right now. He's recollecting, even if he's in a dry season, David says, I'm not going to let this dry season keep me from praising God. He says, I'm not going to let uh, what's going on outwardly, this dry season in my life, in my career, in my personal life, I'm not going to let it keep me from worshiping God. And so David says, Lord, I'm going to behold your power, your strength, and your glory. And here's the, the most powerful verse in verse 3. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life. This word steadfast comes from the Hebrew word hesed. It means God's unfailing love. It means God's unconditional love. That God is loyal to us. And he says, your steadfast love is better than life to me. And what David is saying is pretty much what Paul says in Philippians. He says, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying, Lord, you, you're better than life. There's nothing that, that life has to offer me than, that's greater than your steadfast love. There's, there's nothing that life has to offer me, my career has to offer me, anything has to offer me than your steadfast love. It's indicative of what Paul was saying, that nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ, uh, neither height nor death, that nothing can separate me from the life of Christ. And so David says the same thing here. He says, your hesit, your steadfast love is better than life. And really, brothers and sisters, David begins to encourage himself in the Lord. That even though he's in isolation, he's in a dark place, he's in the wilderness where there is no water, David encourages himself in the Lord. And I know uh, during this pandemic, some of us, we're not able to go to church like we used to. But we have great memories of what it was like to go into the church and to worship God in spirit and in truth. And sometimes we have to recall what it was like to be in the sanctuary. But what also David is teaching us is that the sanctuary, the church, is not an end in itself. Uh, that David says, I'm more concerned about the God of the sanctuary than the sanctuary of God. And so we've got to look at the sanctuary as a means to worshiping God. So David says, uh, I'm going to turn my dry season, I'm going to turn this wilderness into a sanctuary because of your steadfast love. David goes on to say to us, as we remember, he says, not only am I going to remember, but I'm going to praise you. I'm going to have a, a worship party right here in the desert, Lord. He says, my lips will praise you. Can you see David in the desert and he's singing the songs of Zion? He says, so I will bless you 
as long as I live. So he, he recommits himself to God in the desert. He says, I will bless you and I will lift up my hands. David is lifting up his hands. He says, I don't need a choir right now. I don't need a priest. I don't need a preacher. All I need, Lord, is your presence. He said, Lord, I don't need any bells and whistles. All I need to know is that you are with me, God. He says, I will lift up my hands. He lifts up his hands to God in the desert. There's no one but him and God. And that's where we have to get sometimes. We have to worship in the audience of one. We have to worship God uh, because God is the one that we're here to please. He's the one that we're here to worship. So David says, I will call on your name. So not only do we have to seek the Lord, but we have to remember the Lord. And that remembrance of God we have to remember the valleys that God has brought us through, uh, the rivers that God has brought us across, the mountains that God has brought us over because God has a great track record. And because God has been faithful to us, that he's been faithful to us, we can worship God. We can turn our dry seasons uh, into an oasis of worship. And this is what David, our spiritual director, teaches us. He says, my soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. David says, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recognize that you're the only one that can satisfy my soul. You're the only one that can, that can provide uh, the spiritual sustenance that I need to, to make it through this dry season in my life. And so I, I don't know what you're going through today. You, you may be in a dry season right now, but I want to encourage you today to remember God and to remember God in such a way that you are able to recall what God has done for you in the past and what he will do for you now and what he's going to do for you in the future. You've got to trust God. You've got to remember that God is better than life. And so where are, you, where are you trying to get your satisfaction from? You're trying to seek satisfaction in other places. And there's no other place, no other person in your life that can satisfy you more than God. You're trying to seek satisfaction in your career. Uh, it's, it's great to pursue your career, but I want to encourage you today that the, the true place of satisfaction is in God and in God alone. This is what David is teaching us. You see, David refuses uh, to let the desert disorient him. He, he refuses uh, to let the desert situation disorient him. You know, Walter Brueggemann talks about orientation and disorientation and new orientation. And orientation is when we, uh, when everything is going great in our lives. It's when, when, when we, what we know about God, we find it to be true. But then in that season of disorientation, uh, we, things are disrupted. Uh, things, we, we don't understand what God is doing in our lives. And so during the season of disorientation can be a dry season. It could be a dry season in your life, but I want to encourage you today uh, to not let that season of disorientation uh, keep you from worshiping God. You've got to worship God in, in the beauty 
of his holiness today. And so he says, he says, when I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, I love this expression. Uh, David says that even when I try to go to sleep, uh, that when I'm sleeping, I, I wake up in the watches of the night. And that phrase, watches of the night, uh, carries with it the idea, idea of guards keeping watch over the kingdom at night. So there were three watches of the night in four hours of separation. And David says, during the watches of the night, Lord, I, I'm going to meditate on you. And that word meditate means to fill our minds and hearts up with the knowledge of God, uh, to meditate, to turn over in your mind who God is and what God has done, that we meditate on God in such a way that it feeds us and it gives us spiritual stamina to keep moving even when we can't see what direction God is leading us in. So David says, I will meditate on you, dear God, in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. You've been my source. You, you've been my divine support system, oh God. Lord, when I can't find help anywhere else, Lord, you have been there with me. And Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to cling to you. Then David begins to transition about the watches of the night. He said, you've been my help. And then he says this word, in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. What that implies is that David will cover us, that God will cover us. David is saying God will cover us in the shadow of his wings. And as we stand here, there's an osprey right above us. And there he is, over the nest, pr protecting his young in the shadow of his wings. And as that osprey protects the young, they're able to sing and they're able to rejoice. They're able to, 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 to say something in, in, their own, in their own vernacular because the osprey is protecting his young. And God says the same way, the same way God wants us to be under the shadow of his wings and we can worship him in spirit, and in truth. And so David says, I want you to remember God in the dry seasons of life. Remember what it was like to worship him. But that's not all that David teaches us about praising God in the dry seasons of life. He has something else to share with us. I want you to continue to walk with me as we move forward and David as our spiritual director. directs us that when we're in a dry season in life that we're to praise God. But he said to praise him, but also to seek him and to remember him. Uh, remember what God has already done for you. Remember that God has a good track record, uh, that when 
you look back over your life, you can attest to the fact that God has been faithful to you, uh, that his loving kindness, his hesed, has brought you through to where you are right now. You may not always be where you want to be, but God has you right where he wants you, and he's not done with you yet. So he says, remember, remember the sanctuary, but don't remember the sanctuary as an end in itself. But remember the sanctuary, the God of the sanctuary. But that's not all David has to tell us. Look at what he says here in verse verse 8. He said, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So David says, cling to the Lord, cling to him. Don't let him go. Uh, This is reminiscent of the fact that when Jacob got into a wrestling match, match with the angel of the Lord, and Jacob said to the angel, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And that's the kind of conviction that we have to have in the dry seasons of life. Don't let God go until he blesses you. And so David says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Reminds me of the other day when I went to the grocery store and I saw uh, this mother with her children and she had one little toddler that just got tired of walking. And all of a sudden he starts reaching up to his mother And she tells him, no, you need to keep walking. And then he got so upset that he began to grab her by her leg and she had to walk with him, dragging him with her leg. He was clinging to her. And that's the imagery that we see here in David's story. In David's story, he says, my soul clings to you. My nefesh clings to your loving kindness, God. Uh, grab God by his Jehovistic leg and, and, and reach up to him until he picks you up. This is what David is saying to us. And he says, your right hand upholds me. Your right hand upholds me, God. And this, this, this phrase, this imagery, your right hand, really talks about the mighty hand of God, that God protects us with his right hand, that God provides for us with his right hand, that God sustains us with his right hand. You know, it's interesting that David, in verse 9, reverts back to his enemies. He says, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. He's talking about Sheol, that place where uh, where his enemies, he, he prays an imprecatory prayer on his enemies. And what I love about David is uh, David doesn't care about being theologically correct. Uh, David, what I love about David in this verse is that he only spends one verse on his enemies. Uh, the rest of the 10 verses, he's talking about his relationship with God. In other words, David is saying to us, don't give your enemies too much time Uh, Don't allow your enemies to take up thoughts in your mind. Pray for them. In this case, David prays an imprecatory prayer, but he only spends one verse on his enemies. 
And, and, and that's how we have to think nowadays. We have to think about how much time are we filling our minds up with thoughts of God and not thoughts of our enemies, not thoughts of negativity, but we must fill our minds up with God in the dry seasons of life. And so he, he says that they shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be prayed for jackals. Uh, David is, is praying against his enemies. And what I, I love about David is he's, he's, he's brutally honest. Uh, he, he doesn't really care about uh, the, the happily ever after story. He's going he's gonna to let you know what's in his heart. And, and, and that's how we have to be. We think about the emotional intelligence of David. Uh, that David is very much in tune with his emotions. He's not trying to put on airs uh, for God. He's not trying to put on airs for people. David is letting God know exactly how he feels. But he doesn't end there. He says, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So David says, but the king shall rejoice in God. Now, David seems to be speaking in the third person. He's speaking in the third person, but it's possible that David is referring to himself, uh, that I'm going to rejoice in you, O God. I'm not going to focus on my enemies. I will rejoice in you. And as the king goes, if David is the king, so goes the followers. And so as the king, as the leader, David sets the tone for his kingdom. But I want us to understand that this verse points to a, a greater reality. It points to King Jesus. It points to the true king, the king of kings. Uh, David was just a prototype or uh, uh, image of the true king, Jesus Christ. And so David is pointing us to a greater reality, but the king shall rejoice in God. What does that mean for us as the people of God? What does that mean for us in the 21st century as, as Christians? That we, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to fix our eyes on the king of kings. You know, I remember uh, growing up in that little church uh, on Tupman Home Road, and I used to sing in the youth choir. And my mother was a musician of the choir, and she would play this song that uh, many times I, I pull up, uh, recall in my mind. And the song says, I'm a child of the king wherever I go. My father's rich with houses and lands. He, he rules the world in the palm of his hands. That I'm a child of the king wherever I go. And that's what we have to remember today, that we are children of the most high God, that we are children of the king, that wherever we go, even in the dry seasons of life, remember whose you are and remember who you are, that you are a child of the king. And because you're a child of the king, there's no valley uh, that God can't take you through. There's no river that God can't take you across. There's no mountain that God can't take you over because you are a child of the king. P Peter says that you are a royal priesthood 
Uh, you, you are a kingdom of, of nations that you, that you are to set the tone in the world because you are a child of the king. And here's what I want us to understand today. And that's the end of our message, but I want to say something to you as we, as we think about the implications of that for those of us who don't know the Lord, uh, that we must understand that God wants you to be a part of his kingdom. He wants you to be a child of the king. And, and so I, I want to say this to you today, that if you're in a dry season of life, if it's dry in your career, it's dry in your personal life, and you've done everything you can to quench your thirst, uh, you've tried to quench your thirst in relationships, in a man or a woman, you tried to quench your thirst in life uh, with something other than God. I want you to know today that Jesus Christ is the only one that can quench your thirst. So seek the Lord while he is near, while he may be found that he is a very present help in time of need. And so if you're right there, if you're in a dry season, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And this prayer is, is about you coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And I ask, Lord, that you would forgive me for the sins that I've committed against you. And Lord, I, I accept the awesome price that Christ paid for me on Calvary. And Lord, I thank you that you have given me newness of life through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I celebrate with you today because you have become a child of the King. And as you think about what God has already done in your life and what he's doing right now, uh, there's a website at the bottom of the screen, upc.org slash Jesus. I want you to go to that website and at the end of that website, there will be people, spiritual advisors, waiting on you to walk with you on your journey. They have a conversation with you because we don't want you to take this journey alone, alone, because it takes a church to raise a Christian. And University Presbyterian Church is that kind of church that is committed to raising mature followers of Christ. So I encourage you to go to that website so you can be covered, you need a pastor, you need a church home. And I celebrate with you today of what God has done in your life. Amen, amen.